there's a lot going on, you know, within the context of intuitive eating that it's so much more than food. It really is like this starting point, but it branches out to so many other areas of your life. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. Thank you for coming back here. As you've heard, I love to share with you people that I meet along the way that um, selfishly, sometimes it's things that I want to learn about. And um, sometimes it's just somebody that's come across my desk, if you will, that I find intriguing. And I know their story will be helpful. And in the beginning of my podcast journey, a couple of years ago, I wanted to learn more about intuitive eating. And so I actually reached out to somebody in my network who somebody told me was an intuitive eating coach. And I said, Hey, would you come on my podcast? Cause I want to learn about intuitive eating. So um, if you haven't heard that episode, that's a good one, but stay tuned today because I have an intuitive um, eating counselor and coach with me today, Jennifer D'Amato. Um, and uh, we've connected and um, it's been a great one. And so she really helps to specialize um, in helping women reconnect with her, with their bodies, make peace with food and redefine their health as they walk away from the diet culture and embrace all life has to offer. Doesn't that sound awesome? Um, so thank you, Jennifer, for, um, joining me today. I can't wait to have a conversation with you here. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you are very welcome. Um, again, this is, we've had a few conversations before we hit, um, record here, of course, but you know, there's so much with, is diet culture and food rules and no food rules. And again, this is a podcast that we've talked about disordered eating and eating disorders and addictions and things like that. And um, so I really, I look forward to talking about, again, just kind of that diet culture or ditching that and the things that you know, and that you've learned. And, um, but I love to start out just by like, just to give people some context um, of why you're so passionate about what you do and kind of how that started with you, um, how you started to want to be in this space of helping helping women. So can you start there, Jennifer? Yeah, I would absolutely love to. You know, it's so interesting to me that most people I meet are really connected to their work, right? And it, it is what drives our passion. And for me, I hit a really ugly place with disordered eating and I had dieted since the age of 17. And when I was in my mid thirties, I hired a macro counting coach. And unfortunately that took me to that really ugly place of orthorexia. I became absolutely obsessed with tracking everything and everything was in the name of health. That's really, you know, the definition of orthorexia. And I was working out two to three hours every single day, right. All in the name of health. I was sacrificing time with my family, all in the name of health. I was watching every single thing I ate and everything had to be, 
um, you know, this whole foods only. And it was really, it was chicken and spinach. That's all I ate. Um, there was no variety to my food at all, but all in the name of health. And when I say in the name of health, it was all focused on my weight, the size of my body. And, you know, I hit this place where I had lost all of this weight. And then I said, this is it. Like I was let down and disappointed. Um, I had been praised the entire time I was losing weight while losing everything else. So from that part of my journey, I actually had read intuitive eating the book, um, by Evelyn and Elise, and I reread it. I had pulled it out, reread it with a different lens on because I was so defeated. And when I reread it, I went, I didn't understand this at all. I really had no clue what intuitive eating was. And what it led me to was pursuing becoming certified as an intuitive eating counselor. So my background's in psychology and I love the brain. I love, you know, how it works and that we have this power to change our thoughts. And I never really understood that all of my thoughts were so centered around how my body looked and what others thought of my body and every choice I made with food was related to how I felt about my body. So I pursued intuitive eating um, counseling and um, I have been walking in intuitive eating for years now. I, I, <laughs> I've probably never been heavier or happier in my entire life. Um, I actually don't even really think much about, you know, weight or my body because that's not our focus in intuitive eating. Um, but I feel whole and complete now. I have four daughters that get to grow up in a house that doesn't have dieting or diet culture or diet language or negative body talk. It's like, I, <laughs> I know stranger things is like really in right now. And I do like it. I'm such a fan. And I feel like sometimes I'm living in the upside down because the world that I've created here and this, this home and this family dynamic has nothing to do with watching mom be on a you know diet after diet after diet. So there there's like, that's the most interesting way I've ever explained that. So that's unique for you. There you go. Stranger things brought into it. How about that? <laughs> I, I, you know what I need to I guess there's some stranger things pop up in Chicago or no, or in Oak Brook, which is a suburb close to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I, I haven't gotten on the bandwagon. I don't even know what it's about. So <laughs> perhaps maybe this is my second or third, you know, um, notification that perhaps I should. It quite literally has nothing to do with anything except, you know, what's really interesting is that show takes place in the eighties and, and I do love the eighties, you know, I lived through the eighties and mm-hmm. I, I think if we go back there, so a time when, you know, most of the women I work with, you know, lived through the eighties and you start tracking diet trends, tracking how we looked at food back then to how we look at it now and what's happened. It really, for me is quite fascinating because I always go back to the eighties because it's so relatable where there was this time eggs were evil. I don't know if you remember that, right? It was on the cover of Time Magazine. Like you shouldn't eat eggs anymore. And it was this big to-do. My family never had eggs in the house because we were told if you eat eggs, they have cholesterol, you're going to have high cholesterol. And then (laughs) all of a sudden it was like, oh, wait, um, we were wrong. We were wrong about this. Um, The eighties, we really, of course, saw that big start with Weight Watchers, right? And that even though the company says they they have transformed, they have not. It is still, of course, you know, this point tracking, which is calorie tracking uh, (laughs) app. You know, it's app now. Of course it wasn't then. You went to a meeting, you were fat shamed, getting on a scale in front of other people, you know, calling it accountability when really it was about guilt and shame 
you know, building all of these habits that our mothers, for me, my mother passed on to me. So anyway, I don't, I mean, talking about stranger things, like, of course, for me, I love the eighties, but then you think about these diet trends that started then and where we are now, it really, for me is quite fascinating that what we believed then we really don't believe now. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do another one. Are you ready for it? Oh my goodness. I can't even, I'm going here, but sugar, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. So we, 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 we talk about sugar a lot now. Well, back in the eighties, it was about 84 fat was removed, Mm -hmm. right? Remember everything became fat free, low fat. And we still see that today, but when we took out the fat, what did we need? We needed it to still taste good, Mm -hmm. right? So we added sugar and we added excessive salt to make that. So now here we are, it's 2022 and fat is king. (laughs) Sugar is bad, except all we've done for the last 30 plus years is have this high consumption of sugar because we took out the dang fat. It's like, if we could, I mean, we're just diving right into this. If we could (laughs) just stop, I mean, I know, right. If we could just stop eliminating anything. So, you know, I don't know the familiarity for you or your audience, but macro, those three macronutrients, your carbohydrates, your fats, and your proteins go back and track from maybe for you, the 1980s, maybe you're just the nineties, whatever works for you and start tracking what happened with food from the time you can remember, it'll blow your mind. And what it has been is we'll just take out all, cause right now we're in this craze of take out all the carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, anytime we eliminate a macronutrient from our consumption, from our nutrition, right? We're eliminating vital minerals vitamins and the components of that macronutrient that help our body. I mean, that's what's happening here. So again, I actually like, this is crazy that we just went from stranger things to tracking (laughs) diets from the 1980s, but y'all, I think it's, I mean, it really is quite fascinating. That's what they, they do say when, when the, the, um, when those low fat, and again, I don't know enough, you know, you know, have all the stats, but I do know that when low fat, no fat, all that stuff started coming up. If you look at, you know, the health trends and things like that, people got unhealthy. That that was, I think, done to try to help people be healthy, right? And take that bad stuff out. But the trends towards health has not been, it didn't seem to work. And like you said, no. they took- <laughs> I think, that's right. It did not work. <laughs> right. And now like, you know, and now they're taking the sugar out and now they're taking the the carbs out or whatever. But like, I try to tell people and people know that I have a, I represent, you know, I have a wellness business. I represent a wellness brand. I talk about wellness, but I talk about balance. Like we need carbs, protein, fats. We need them all for, yeah. in my nursing background, we need them all to like, again, in a very simple way for everything to process properly. We, mm-hmm. we need it all. And like, yeah. I remember I, of, it just made me think of like my again, just the like, oh, we need to eat grass fed, you know, farm raised and all of this stuff, or maybe we don't need to eat any meat at all. And I just remember my mother when she was in high school, again, this is just going off script here, but when my mom was in (laughs) high school, they, in Michigan, my grandfather decided he wanted to buy a farm. So he bought an 80 acre farm that had cattle and they moved to the farm and my mom, my grandmother went to work my mom's, you know, uh, mom and my aunt there, but 
and she said, you know, we, they raise cattle and they'd send Bessie to town and <laughs> they'd, you know, and then they had meat for the rest of the, you know, and it was farm raised grass fed and they ate meat and potatoes, but they went out and they were active and they lived on, you know, they were active and they farmed and they did this and that. And that was, that was okay. You know, mm. now my, again, this is way off script. I mean, my dad, my grandfather developed diabetes much later in his life or whatever, but they lived a healthy life by just, I'm trying to say that they lived a healthy life by just eating the stuff that God gave us. You know, they grew vegetables, they grew plants, they ate them, they ate the meat that they had, they drank the milk. I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's kind no, of, like, it, I mean, it we've makes gone sense. to this place from this place of like, can we just get to be more back to natural? But when people say get back to natural, then it's all of this stuff. Well, you got to go to whole foods and you have to get the organic and you have to be like this. And yeah. there's no, it's like, yeah, no, I'm just what, saying, just get back to the way we're supposed to eat, you know? Well, and I think we need to acknowledge, you know, I, I mean, I love grass-fed beef. If if I if I could just only have that when I'm having, you know, beef, if I could get everything from a farm, yeah, I'd love that. That definitely comes from a place of privilege, though, to be able to do that and have mm -hmm. access to that, have the, the the financial means to do that, you know, is a very real thing to acknowledge that that's not always possible, feasible. You know, even feeding my family of six, oof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I could, I would, but most of the times I can't, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I think about that and what we have access to. And then I do think, again, we go to these extremes, right? Nothing seems to have a middle ground and we mm -hmm. haven't yet learned when we do that is when our health actually has the greatest impact in the, in a negative way. When we go to these extremes, either eliminating or, well, you can only, you can, you have to, you, you know, the shoulds, right. You have to do things a certain way. Well, then what do we feel when we don't, we feel guilty. We might even feel shame. You know, I can't keep up with this. I can't eat that way, whether I can't afford to, or I really just don't even freaking like it. You know, mm -hmm. I don't like this kind of food, but I'm supposed to eat it. There's this influencer I talk about. She did this whole video on how much she hated salmon, which I cannot relate to personally, but <laughs> she hated salmon, but you're supposed to eat this. So you need to, I was like, what are we doing here? We've really lost that connection. And this is part of that. The, the piece of the work I do is connecting with yourself. You know, we are individual right? I have different tastes and different um, foods that light me up than you probably do. I always use my husband as an example because he's an intuitive eater, but that man will eat like sauerkraut, fermented foods, pickles, like, oh, I can't stand any of it. But intuitively, I know what foods light me up. I know what flavors and tastes and textures I enjoy that are going to be different from him. And that's what I'm saying is we've lost the connection. We've lost mm -hmm. the connection to what we enjoy because food's actually no longer enjoyable. Food has become this, um, oh gosh, this marketing food is fuel. Well, no, I mean, yes, but no <laughs> food can just be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. You know, food is, is more than just, well, I need it to survive, which is true. But what if you actually were satisfied what if there is pleasure? Other cultures, and this is the you know something I enjoy learning about, have words. The Japanese have a word, and I will not do a botched job on you know language here. They have a word for satisfaction in their food because of how how highly 
they value being satisfied in what they eat. And I know they're not the only culture that really values that. Um, there's something very unique here <laughs> in the good old US of A that we've kind of removed that and then replaced it with rules and guilt and shame when it comes to what we eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, you said it so well, because I, um, yeah, I've seen it again, I'm you know, almost 60 years old. So I've gone through a good amount of life and a good amount of changes in, in, um, in food and, you know, culture and what you see on the magazines and, you know, all, you know, from the Marilyn Monroe's to the Twiggies to the everything in between. And, and I would ask the question and I know what the answer is going to be. And that's what I want you to talk about a little bit about in two a day, you know, like, how do we get past that? How do we get past the, you know, the culture that we see in front of us and the shame that we feel based on what our mother or our grandmother used to tell us. or the dad said, Oh, don't eat that. Cause you, you know, you won't be able to meet a boy if you're too fat or, you know, the, all the mm. kind of things, like, how do you get past that? And I believe, again, you're the expert on intuitive eating more than me, but that's, you know, when I first heard about intuitive eating, I thought it's all about eating, but it's, there's so much more around it. Right. And so if you can kind of give the, you know, reader's digest version of like really what's intuitive eating. And because I think when people start to hear that, they can see how they can, it takes some work, right. But it's, it's more about that. It really is more about the mindset. It is along with eating. Right. Yeah. It's really why. So the first principle is reject the diet mentality. And there's a reason we have to address those thoughts first. Most of them have been so ingrained in us, whether it's been through, you know, you and I magazines before social media, right? We saw it in magazines. Oftentimes we heard it from our caregiver, mostly, you know, our mother, or I have a lot of clients where both their parents were, you know, chronic dieters. There's these messages of, what is valued. And you, you kind of said that, right? Like what's been valued for body, the look of a body, the type of body over the years has also shifted and morphed countless times. I mean, more times than we can imagine, but the reason reject them diet mentality is first is we really need to work through the thoughts and you get to decide what do you believe? What do you believe about food? What do you believe about health? What do you believe about your body? And we start diving into those things that have been, again, ingrained, you've believed them as truth. But then when my clients start questioning it, they're like, but that doesn't seem true. I'll take a like really, really simple example, the clear your plate club. I grew up with it. Almost every single woman I work with talks about it. I actually, I mean, years ago, I actually worked with some guys and they shared the same thing. Can't get up and go play outside until you finished eating. Can't have dessert until you finished eating. Whatever it was, you have to clear your plate. There's children starving. You know, we literally grew up in a time where we had to hold the the weight of world starvation on our plate. If we finished our peas or not, right? Yes, yes. I remember, yes. (laughs) And for me, it was overboiled broccoli. Gosh, you know, so it was torture. You know, so first of all, we're, we're building this negative relationship with the meal experience and food itself. But then we're carrying this message that I can't trust my own body, that I, that even if I feel done, I feel full, I feel satisfied, I'm not. So breaking through that message, even the idea of leaving food on the plate is something some of my clients have really had to do intentional practice with, with actually leaving it there. Some of them um, have come up with a plan of what to do with the food because the act of throwing it away 
is not possible for them in that moment. So we come mm. up with a plan of what they can do with that food. But that one message, and again, this one is, I feel like the most relatable. There's so many others, but the clear your plate is part of rejecting diet mentality. Learning to trust yourself again around food is a big part of this. And it can start with these rules that you've been following. You know, another one I hear often from clients, well, I can't eat pat, you know, after dinner, like you can't eat, you know, at seven o'clock at night, like, what am I going to do? You know, and I, I had been somebody who also experienced that being told to me at one point, and I was like, I'm doomed. You know, if I eat at eight o'clock at night, even if my body tells me you're hungry, like I really am having hunger signals and feeling overwhelmed. I can't tell you how many times I went to bed so hungry. It hurt because I was following this rule, there is no like timing. Your body doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, sometimes we need the understanding, right? Sometimes we need the, the, the science behind it and the information, but sometimes we just need to be released to believe what's best for us. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, some, I've had a client, she's like, the reason she doesn't eat at eight o'clock at night and it's, she's not denying hunger, but she'll get digestive issues. And she wakes up with like a heartburn in the middle of the night. And we worked through that. So for her, again, she's the expert on her body and had to learn to trust that, mm -hmm. you know, had to learn to go, okay, I, this is, this is not a good thing for my body. Actually, it's been one of the only clients I've ever had, you know, who experienced that, but she knew. And then she just had this overwhelming sense of empowerment. Like I'm doing what's best for me. So we start with rejecting the diet mentality. One of the other principles when we're talking about making peace with food is we start really going through what we talked about early on here about these messages about food itself, you know, about carbohydrates. Because of course we're in this fad, you've used the word trend. I'm going to use the word fad, you know, interchangeably, right? We're in this fad diet of, we don't eat carbs now. Carbs are bad. I follow these amazing Italians who are like, y'all are nuts. Yeah. Lost your mind. <laughs> like, right. like we literally eat pasta every day, every day, you know? So again, we work through those messages because if food becomes neutral and I mean, emotionally, there's no value placed on it. I'm not arguing nutritional content here, but I'm saying if food becomes this emotionally neutral place, there's no more good and bad to it. We actually can let go of that restrictive behavior. And when we let go of restricting, we're no longer, we no longer overeat. There's no longer these binge periods. There's no longer food being in control. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. It's true. There's so much, um, there's so much to it. And again, when we talk about, when I've talked about you know, you talk about orthorexia, which is a known now eating, you know, disorder when there's, and you know, too much eating, not enough eating. I mean, it, it was interesting. I, I just, you said like that food isn't the one controlling. And I always, I don't know, I'm just going to say this, you know, we talk about addictions that it's not about the food. It's not about the alcohol. It's not about the drugs and stuff like that. It's really more that's underneath that. It. It's the control and the control piece of that, but I don't know. It's just, it's interesting that you, I just feel like it's just that it, it takes, like you said, I just like that neutrality. It just evens things out. And when we yeah. don't have that, the thoughts that pop up, like, well, this is good, or this is bad, or this is, we can just let it go. Yeah. Cause what happens when we do that is we feel good or bad. 
right? We start ranking and this is, you know, something I hear. I usually ask my clients when we first start working together, you know, if they eat foods are deemed good or bad, do they, how do they feel about themselves? Like, how are they ranking their day? And they really are basing their day off of what they ate. If they ate and I'm air quoting good, they feel good. But if they ate bad and foods that were deemed bad, I mean, they felt so bad. They felt guilt. They felt that shame, which again, were you know, we're not even addressing all of that stress that's happening internally in our body. When we do that, like there's mm-hmm. so much stuff we under the surface that we're not seeing when we're feeling all of that food guilt, all of the shame for eating food. I didn't, I mean, think about that, that to me, like, again, it blows my mind is that we are in this place of high stress guilt around something that keeps us alive. Right something we need. We literally need it. Um, So if we can get to a place where there is no longer good and bad, and again, I'm not debating nutrition, but we can't address nutrition until we've removed these judgments, until we've removed the guilt and shame of eating food. And what's really, really beautiful is when that happens and you're no longer restricting, there's like less desire. I've had clients tell me all the time. They're like, seriously, Jen, the cookies are still sitting in the pantry that I bought. Cause maybe we had done an exercise where they were working through letting go of this label, you know, the morality on this particular food. And they're like, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't really want them. You know, I've used my personal example. I've, I shared it on social media around Halloween. Cause I have this adorable glass pumpkin that my mom got me and I fill it with peanut M&Ms because peanut M&Ms are my favorite and something, of course, I had restricted for so many years, even though I love them. Cause when I would get a hold of them, I would eat like, you know, the, the sharing side, they call it a sharing bag. I was like, (laughs) I, I didn't share it. I mean, I would eat the whole thing and I would eat it fast and hard where it wasn't even bringing me joy or satisfaction. Well, now we have this gorgeous pumpkin. I fill it with peanut M&Ms. My children are home. So I I homeschool my kids. So they're here and I have to share things with them. Sometimes I have to share my peanut M&Ms, but I put this out for all of us. And I laugh because there's some days nobody touches it, including myself. I, it doesn't have, again, the food doesn't have the power. The food Mm -hmm. is not good or bad. If I'm in the mood and I want a peanut M&M it's there. Mm -hmm. If I don't, (laughs) I just don't have it. That's what happens when we've worked through the thoughts. And again, Mm -hmm. the same thing for my, my client (laughs) recently. And it was, she's like, these cookies are just sitting here and I don't really even want them. And it wasn't that there was any judgment. Like I shouldn't have these. It really was. If I want them, I'll have them, but I really just don't care right now that they're in the Mm -hmm. house. Because you think about that. What have we been taught by diet culture? Don't, well, I'd say diet culture and wellness culture, culture, which are somewhat synonymous here. Well, don't have it in the house if it's tempting. The problem is with that is again, we go to the thoughts when you're restricting, even just in your thoughts, when you get around that, what's going to happen is you're going to overeat. You're going to feel like you're in that binge like behavior and you stay stuck in that cycle. And what you end up believing about yourself is, see, I don't have self-control, another diet culture word. Like I don't have self-control. So I see, I can't have this around me. So you try not to have it around you. And then you get around it again. What we do is we literally take that entire cycle that you're stuck in. We smash it to pieces and it does not exist anymore. Now that, that sounds so simple, like I'm saying it, but it does take time and work. And sometimes with clients, we have to work through very specific foods that have had messages for a long time. Sometimes it's food groups, but oftentimes there's foods like for me, it was pizza 
and it was M&M, peanut M&Ms, not just M&Ms, peanut <laughs> M&Ms. I really did some work through those foods because I would eat pizza to the point of sick. I would be ready to um, throw up because I could not, I mean, I would just get around it and I couldn't control myself. And this was of course, in my highly disordered eating days, I do wish, I know you mentioned something. I wish orthorexia were in the DSM. It is not right now, um, as we're recording this in the DSM. So it's not considered a formal eating disorder, but when we look at the spectrum, right, there's dieting, disordered eating and eating disorders, what we're seeing is orthorexia is on the side of, you know, from disordered eating into eating disorder. And I think what's going to happen in our lifetime is I think we're going to see it as an official diagnosis. And mm -hmm. again, this is where I say there's the wellness culture, which orthorexia really has been birthed from is contributing to that, you know, everything in the name of health, what, even if it means you are completely unhealthy. Right. And you know, and I think we talked, I talked to so many people, but I think we talked about this in our, you know, when we first were introduced is, you know, again, I've been in this, well, I'm a retired nurse, you know, I've, so I have a bachelor's, I have the education and I've been in the wellness industry for 22 years and I had an eating disorder in college. And, you know, I was able to learn a lot about wellness, if you will, and giving our body nutrients and removing the toxins for our environment and my family got healthier. We didn't suffer from some of the, you know, allergies and things like that. But I have to say that, you know, throughout my 22 years, it, I have had to come to terms with these things because I was pretty much, you know, over my eating disorder. But then when I sat in a convention and was listening to the people from stage saying, okay, we're launching this new weight loss program and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this is how we can help people. And, and we need to make sure that we're the healthiest that we can be and all of this stuff. And I started just like, when I started to talk about this, I started to just feel like chills in my body and they're like, go to the expo and weigh yourself and put this thing up here. And, and this is what your goal is. And I was like, I can't do that. It was just like, all of this stuff started to erupt in me. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the expo and it was like, you know, you see in those movies, like the room starts to spin around, I swear to God, that's exactly what was happening. And I was like, what is happening to me? Mm -hmm. And I ha thankfully had these two women that were friends and colleagues of mine, and they came over and we talked about we supported each other in that moment. And we kind of went behind the white curtains and we talked about um, just our fears and like our things that like had happened in the past that were causing these like reactions that we we're having. But what was happening, it was like bringing up these, like, how do I really feel about like helping people with diets and with weight loss. And what are my feelings about food? And what are my feelings about? It has been this journey that I don't often share with people, but it has really, because I love what I get to do. I love what I choose to do and how I can help people um, in this space of wellness. But I'm not going to put the before and after pictures unless it's skincare, because I love how my skin looks, you know, but whatever. But it's just this, I'm not, because it's like I've had to, and I'm still on this journey of like, I've had to come to terms with it myself. And like, how do I feel about it? And how am I going to speak to others? But how first am I going to speak to myself? Mm. And it, you know, I say that in the beginning, like, you know, how do we get past this? Because there are some days that I still admittedly deal with it. Like, wow, because people are like, wow, you look great and you're doing great. And it's just like, some days I don't feel great. 
because I don't feel like I look, you know, it's like we have those again, things, but, but whose rules are those, right? I had to realize I had to come to terms with what my, again, how I was talking to myself, my rules, if there has to be rules, I don't think there have to be, but, you know, I just, I've come to terms and just slowly and slowly, you know, I've done that been able, I, I know people that have left this wellness space. Cause they're like, you're, if I, you stay there and somebody was pretty blatantly attacking me saying, if you stay there, then you're supporting diet culture. If you continue with your business, I'm like, you, you know what I think you're hitting on is I think we, ha- we have body autonomy, right? Like we totally can make choices. I don't judge anyone, you know, for any of their choices. I think we need to make decisions that feel good. You're, I think you're addressing something that definitely comes up in intuitive eating is body image, right? Mm -hmm. Why do we diet in the first place? Why do we restrict food? It's because we believe there's something wrong with the size of our body. Whether we're told that I have had clients as young as eight years old who have been told that they need to lose weight. They were brought to weight watchers with their mom. Like Mm -hmm. I've, I've had that experience, you know, with clients sharing that with me, but I think no matter what, we struggle with our body. And so one thing I share a philosophy of mine is I actually don't promote body positivity. And I always explain this, you know, just so I'm very clear. Like if you get to a place where you're like, I love my body, I'm like rock on sis. Like that's amazing. But for me, the goal is definitely not Mm -hmm. to, I, I don't feel like I need to love my body every day because we're not like you are. That's so real, right. That we're going to have days where it's like, meh. And we're going to have days where we're like, Bleh. <laughs> those are my two descriptors. How's that yeah, for you? Right. <laughs> there's days are mad. There's days are blah. Like we just feel that way. I think if we can even accept, first of all, that's normal, right? And that's that is okay. A normal, right? That's okay. Yeah. But that we, I actually like getting to a place of being neutral. So I like to start with respect. It, how can I show my body respect today, especially on the days where it's maybe not a good body image day? which again, I'm coming to this place where in my thought, I know that's normal. So I'm not beating myself up. I've had, you know, women tell me, even if they have the thought, first of all, that they don't like their body, they feel bad. So if we can even start to accept that's a normal thought to have Mm -hmm. for us in our culture, let me say that because it's not everywhere, but it definitely is, you know, within the context here that first of all, I accept that. Then I ask myself one question, how can I show myself and my body respect today? And sometimes that comes in the form of, I need to nourish my, my body. I need to eat. I'm just going to take care of it. I need to eat. I'm going to have some water. I'm going to have some coffee because coffee is life. Like this is what I'm going to do. Sometimes it's, I need to wear clothes that I feel more comfortable in today that I feel again, sometimes I go to confidence. I know again, that could be the next place you go to, but today I need comfort. I need to be able to be comfortable in this body. That's going to show it respect. Um, I had a client recently for her. It was. Like I I need to, I need to just take showers, wash my face, brush my teeth. Like I need to remind myself I am showing myself respect because then if we can show respect, then we can move to accept. We can move to accept our body in the body we are in today. You know, something you and I, I know we talked about a little bit um, before we were recording was even bringing in the principles of health at every size. We've been taught health and weight are synonymous. And in fact, (laughs) that's not true. It's really not true. I mean, if you start looking into 
meta-analysis of data. I'm not saying a study that some diet is promoting. I'm talking a meta-analysis, which for your listeners, of course, this is like multiple studies all reviewed on this same topic, right? So we're really getting into the crux of it. It really is showing health and weight are not synonymous that the BMI, which I, you know, Mm-hmm. I don't want to go too far into it, but that the BMI, which was created by a mathematician was never meant to be used as a measure of health. Mm-hmm. Like this kind of information again, sometimes that's empowering enough for my clients to be like, well, screw that. Mm-hmm. Like I can let this all go. And others, of course, there's deeper work to be done there because we have been fed these messages for a really long time. Well, yeah, you go to the doctor and you get weighed, which I refuse to get weighed anymore. And the Mm -hmm. last time I went there, not only the nurse, usually the nurse is like, okay, no problem. And then this time the doctor said something to me in the room, like as we were going through the little thing and she goes, well, let's get a weight. I go, why? I'm on no medications. I'm not uh, visually overweight. Like I'm good. I'm healthy. Like my blood works looks good. Like, why do you need a weight? Well, it's just good. I go, no, forget it. Like really? Yeah. I mean, seriously, I'm like, ah, but it's an, out, it's uh, an outdated practice. And we're seeing a lot more movement in this because of the research that's being done w- with health at mm-hmm. every size, you know, a- again, um, <laughs> there's a lot of misinformation out there mm-hmm. and there's, there is a movement we're seeing where people are starting to go question, right? Like, wait a minute. I know people in larger size bodies who are healthy, who are, you know, who are doing amazing things, who don't have any health markers, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's cholesterol issues, heart issues, um, blood sugar issues, they have nothing Wait, It's starting to have people start questioning, which I think, you know, if I can impart anything is question, get curious. You know, we go right to judgment. We go right to criticizing. What if instead you go, Hmm, I wonder why. I wonder what's behind that. Is it possible what we've been taught, what those messages were, right? The front covers of magazines and telling us this is what we need to look like. This is what we should be doing. I wonder if it wasn't true. I think it's um, it's true. I think there's been, and certainly when we talk about the 80s or the 70s or 60s or like my parents growing up and like even us growing up, like we just did what the doctor said, right? We did what the teacher said. We did said, <laughs> did what the doctor did what the doctor said. We did what the Sunday school teacher said. Like we just followed, at least that was my upbringing. We just yep. followed the rules and we did that. Mm-hmm. I love this idea of like being curious. And that's really what I talk about too. In my life is like, what, what, what's the possibility of, because I think, because I was so like, you got to just think this way as I've been introduced to the possibility of things being different, Mm. like, I think that's really exciting. And it brings in that curiosity factor. Like, what if we're, what if it wasn't, or maybe what if such and so that, you know, but what about it for me? And then like, it just keeps coming up in my head. Like what you said, it's like giving yourself permission to be, to like, I don't know, just giving yourself I don't know, giving yourself permission to like take care of you and do something that feels good for you or that doesn't feel good or whatever, and not being so concerned about society or what your friend said or what this TV show said or what this influencer said. Can we just be curious about ourselves and think about that? And like, I, I don't and, know. And, and what if we, in addition, adopt a belief that we really do hold for ourselves that we're the expert on our, our own body? 
that we actually do know best. And unfortunately, you know, so what I find in working with women is it's, it's a disconnect and it's a disconnect because of course we've listened to all these other messages. We believe, you know, that somebody else is the expert. We believe that, you know, it was Weight Watchers was the expert. It was Slim Fast was the expert. You know, it's keto is the expert. Like everybody else is the expert on our body, but us. And mm-hmm. that's something that I know I want to impart on every single woman that I work with is that no matter what they believe without a doubt, they're the expert. Mm-hmm. And if they don't know something like any good expert would, they're going to get curious. They're going to ask questions and they're going to dive deeper to go. Mm-hmm. What do, what do I think about this? What's happening in my body? And then when you, be, you believe you're the expert, you trust the expert. Mm-hmm. I mean, think right. about that. Like if you really are the expert and you know that you're going to trust, I'm hungry. I've mm-hmm. had enough. I don't want that. It feels good to move today. I need rest. Um, you know, this food is something I don't want. This is something I enjoy a lot of. Like you're not going to be questioning your own choices anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and yeah, and that's okay. And I think it's like that. I think of like, when I think of the foods that I prefer, you know, I often bring up, well, you know, it's like eat for the, your blood type. Cause you know, I looked at eat for my blood type and I'm a type a positive, of course. And, uh, you know, it fits in with, you know, I'm probably, yeah. And that's why I like, you know, more vegetarian food because I'm an a positive or whatever. Like, I don't know, maybe there's some truth to that. There's a whole couple of books written on that, but I don't know. Like I say that because people are like, (laughs) somebody will say that and then they're like, oh, but that means I'm supposed to eat keto. Oh, that means I'm supposed to eat for my blood type. It's like, everybody's looking for this little label that they can put on. But why, why are we doing it? We're going to that because we, we really are so focused on changing our body. Mm Mm-hmm is really most of the time I'd say that I I really in the work that I do, I haven't met someone is the reason wasn't, I need to lose weight. If I lose weight, then X, Y, and Z will happen for me. If I lose weight, then this, that's why we do it in the first place. I mean, it's not about health. It's about, so, I mean, and really that's the part of the, the, the messaging that's coming is it really isn't about health. Mm-hmm. It's about our weight. And again, if we can separate the two and start defining even, okay, so what is health for you? Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes we are looking at those markers, you know, our cholesterol and our blood sugar and our heart health and, you know, our joints and our bones and how things feel in our body mm-hmm. instead of this arbitrary number on the scale. I mean, if you think about that, were you ever taught that your body is meant to change? Mm-hmm. Were we ever taught, you know, past puberty, maybe, that your body's going to change, you know, especially as we hit perimenopause and menopause, right. As women, like those things happen, Mm -hmm. you know, very naturally. And I, 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 I'm not saying it's not true for men. I just can't speak to (laughs) their particular cycles and all of that. But I mean, they go through puberty, they go through hormonal changes, right? Our bodies are meant to change. They're not meant to stay the same. And I think if we could impart that on the young, the next generation, like something in, in, in my home that is taught is your bodies are meant to change. They're not meant to stay the same. Mm-hmm. And if we, what if we believe that as a truth, right? I mean, imagine like we, maybe we'd stop pursuing trying to fix something that's not broken. Right. And I think if anybody's followed my podcast for the last couple of years, there are so many, I mean, you said something earlier that about your story and we've mentioned it a few times, it's come up like that 
like you lost the weight and then you're like, oh, is this it? And we have this like, okay, we want to do this. And then once we're there, like we're still empty. And if you've, I could name, you know, Laura Nosek, there's a few people that I interviewed that they, same thing. They realized that they were doing all these things, but they were still empty inside. And you need to find, you know, for her, it was, you know, the God that she believed in was the only thing that could fill that emptiness inside of her. Like we're doing all these things for like, for what? Yeah. You know, I would say weight loss does not solve body image issues. It doesn't. Um, and I, you know, I really did. I mean, I really believed for the majority of my life, if I lost enough weight, like everything would open up to me. My life would literally just be better. And when it didn't happen that way, and the heartbreak comes, you know, when you stop pursuing that because you've been commented on complimented on. I mean, people were complimenting my disordered eating. People were complimenting without knowing my exhaustion, my neglect of things that needed care, that I was really in a very deep, dark place. All of that goes away too. And then you start really questioning everything. Right. Like, wait a minute, not only did this not give me what I thought, now I feel worse. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like there's something wrong with me, you know, and again, you know, we could have a whole, another conversation at some point about the commenting on bodies, right. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, I know you alluded to experiencing that as well, that what if that stopped good or bad, Mm -hmm. you know, whether we're making a negative comment, which just seems to be on the rise, you know, really concerning for me, but even the positive comments about bodies, what if we stopped commenting on other people's bodies. I mean, I know you've, you've probably experienced this personally, even, you know, with the stories that I've heard you share in your podcast of, you know, you're, you could be commenting, complimenting an eating disorder Mm -hmm. and people are just not aware. And it doesn't matter the size of the body that you're seeing. You can be complimenting somebody who's really, really struggling. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, again, we could talk forever, but I do want to, you know, say these few things as we, you know, um, appreciate each other's time here too, but like, you know, my daughter is in a good place. People have said, wow, she looks good. Okay. And then my daughter's also said, you know, in this eating disorder world, like those that are anorexic, like sometimes it's like, they want to be, they want to look sicker. They want to be sicker so that they'll get the attention, you know, and then people will say, well, she's overweight. How could she have an eating disorder? And like, it's all of these, it's, there's just so much. And like, it is, does get to that languaging. Like, what are we, and it just made me think of uh, what's her name? Just wrote a book. It just came out. You probably have seen it. You know, how are you really like, sometimes it's like, how are you doing? Not just like, wow, you look great today, but like, how are you today? You know, mm-hmm. how are you really, you know, are you look good? Do you feel, you know, all of those things, but it's like, that's the languaging that we have to, like you said, that we have to, we should be more aware of. We need to stop that, like commenting to others or having those interactions that we're asking, you know, we're, we're commenting again about how they look, you know, mm-hmm. wow, you look, you you know, all this, it's like, I don't know. I could talk on and on about this because it's not about how we look. It's about how are you feeling inside? Like, how are mm-hmm. things going for you? We talked before we went on the air here. Things are pretty heavy in both of our worlds. Like, how are you really like, you know, like that's what we need to do. That's what I love about doing is connecting with people again, but just having these conversations that again, be curious, 
like, be careful with what you say or, you know, or don't say anything at all. If it's going to lead to commenting on someone's body, if we could give a piece of advice to end here, it would be, don't make a comment. If you love the dress she's wearing, let her know that dress Mm -hmm. is gorgeous and you love it. You know, if she is one of the kindest people, you know, tell her that, Mm -hmm. you know, right. If her hair looks great, like say, wow, I love your haircut or I love your hair color. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't. And, you know, you talk about like dressing, you know, I know that that's part of the reason. I mean, I love to dress well. I love to dress up and it is kind of my way of like, yeah, like, I don't know. You said it earlier in a really nice way and I can't remember, but it's like, sometimes I just dress well and I put on something nice because I want my, because I look really good in it. And I'm like, wow, my body does look good. And so then I feel good about myself that day. Maybe it's on a day that like, uh, I don't know how I'm feeling, but you know, I'm going to wear that. And I know that that helps me just show up a little bit with a bigger smile on my face. And then people say, wow, I love your outfit. I'm like, thanks. So do I, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a whole other podcast right there is yeah. talking about our clothes and our, and our body and our comfort and confidence. Like really that is a whole other level, which is why this work is so deep. It's mm-hmm. why this work is personal to eat, you know, to each of the individuals I work with, you know, yes, there's some overarching things that are going on, but everybody has their own story with food. Everybody has their own body story, you know, history with how their body has been made to feel how they have felt in their body. So it's really why this work, you know, takes time because you're undoing at the same time, you're establishing what you believe for yourself. Like there's a lot going on, you know, within the context of intuitive eating, that it's so much more than food. It really is Mm -hmm. like this starting point, but it branches out to so many other areas of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a great way to wrap things up and, you know, hope people can hear it, that it's like, just like all these fads, right. That we talked about beforehand that we can't just one fad isn't for everybody. One diet isn't, you know, whatever, we're not going to go there, but you know, one thing isn't for everybody. Same thing with, with this, like, you know, it's deep work and it's going to be what works for me is going to be different than works for you, but it has this, I don't know. I just like that. Like it doesn't need, and maybe as we talked about, maybe it's because I'm an Enneagram four. I don't want to be like everybody else. I'm not going to be in this same, but I don't know. I, I just, I think what the work that you do is great. And we have to have more, we need to have more conversations like this and um, give women and men, you know, the um, space to have these conversations, to give themselves permission, like you said, to be curious, like, what is this? And like, you know, just stop the noise and start Mm. asking yourself like what's really going on and stuff like that. Um, I don't know, we could talk for hours, but I'm going to have you wrap this (laughs) up and say, you know, let you have your own podcast. You have a way that people can reach you. So I'd love for you to share that. I will certainly put that in the show notes, but also just, you know, wrapping up with kind of your last words of wisdom too. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is, I mean, I could, I could talk for hours about this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's what I do. And I do talk about it on my podcast, which is health life and more for women. You know, I used to cover a wide variety of topics. I'm actually about to start season four. Like I'm wrapping up season three of my podcast and all of season three was everything about intuitive eating. And that's really where my heart and focus is. So moving forward, that's everything on there. I have a website, healthcoachforlife.com and the four, and that is the number four, because I have four daughters and my 
purpose and mission is to dismantle diet culture for the future generation, which includes those four amazing humans. Um, Mm. I'm an Instagram girl, which I know we hang out on there. So Jennifer underscore health coach for life. Um, You can find me on Instagram. I'm usually doing something fun because if it's not fun, I'm not going to do it. So on that note, my last piece I'll leave you with, if you love the food, eat it, enjoy it. If you don't, don't bother. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I, um, somebody called me a real queen the other day because of my reels. I go, listen, (laughs) I'm having fun with it. And, um, and again, I, and my, one of my other girlfriends said, you know, we're starting to see your personality in those reels. I go, well, that's what it's all about. You know, you got to have fun and you have to show people that life is worth living and life is worth going to have you know, just some, find some fun and fun in it. So um, I'm glad that we've connected. Thank you so much for sharing. I know I will continue to, to follow you and, um, and um, we'll continue these conversations, but thanks for being here, Jennifer. I really do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Yeah. And uh, again, thanks for listening. Please do share these. These are, I believe they're just wonderful, powerful conversations that we have here on this podcast. And I do it so that I can learn things, as I said in the beginning, but also so that others can learn and feel like they're not alone in this world of struggle, food, rules, all that type of stuff. So please share these podcasts with others so that others can learn too. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.